Welcome to Ms. Interpreted, her podcast of public relations and strategic communications, demystified by Kelly Fletcher and Fletcher Marketing PR. Well, it is on us that our industry does not appear to be leading enough on bridging these issues of divisiveness. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes it's just like we're sitting here observing it and we're lamenting it and we're handering over it. And we don't get heard a lot of times in among the ranks of executives who do make a lot of the decisions over the way things are communicated and what is ethical and what is not and what is too partisan and what is not. But when it comes to leading from the front, as you and I have often talked about so much on this podcast and just in day-to-day conversation, is that it's so important. The PR industry isn't doing enough, particularly in this country. And it's almost like we need a we need a, a PR campaign to build trust back in the media. For years, propaganda has been used in war and everything else. And, and propaganda is sometimes viewed as an ugly word, but we need a campaign to instill trust back in American journalism. And part of that needs to be driven by ethics and the oath that journalists take and bringing that back to the forefront and getting back to the values that used to drive fairness in reporting. Welcome, listeners, to the Misinterpreted Podcast. I'm Kelly Fletcher, CEO of Fletcher Marketing PR. And as we close out the year 2021 for this episode, I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, Fletcher Senior Strategist, Mary Beth West. Hey, Mary Beth. Hey, Kelly. Happy New Year, almost. Well, we're excited about 2022, right? (laughs) Well, theoretically, I guess we're supposed to be. (laughs) Well, I guess technically there's no right or wrong answer. I am going to a fabulous New Year's Eve party, so I'm excited about that. But you tell me, are you really excited about 2022 (laughs) or not? I'm a little bit in the same boat as I was last year. I mean, not to wish my life away, but I'm more excited per se about this year being over than I am about the one, the new one ahead. But that's not meant to sound too cynical, but maybe it is a little bit cynical. That is cynical. (laughs) I guess, but at the same time, it's real, right? And if these past two years have taught me anything, it's the importance of being real and authentic because anything less is a disservice to ourselves and others and putting my mental wellness hat on for a second anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I'm not trying to paint a woe is me picture or play a sad trombone or anything, but a lot of my feelings about both 2020 and 2021 are swayed a lot by some just very daunting things I see happening in our industry. And we'll, of course, we'll talk about that here in a minute. But what I can say is I'm unsure about being excited as much as I can say with confidence that I am hopeful. Let's just say that. Well, that's a good word. <laughs> I can bind a hope. Yeah. So on today's episode, we're going to discuss our PR predictions for 2022. But before we <laughs> right. really get into the conversation and talk about the nitty-gritty of what's coming down the pike in 2022 for the industry. I want us to share a bit on a personal level about what we've seen and experienced these past few years and how it's impacted and and changed us. Yeah, yeah, sure. I think that's a good idea. And of course, I'm going to let you go first. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Our fearless leader. (laughs) Well, okay. So, soul-bearing time. So, the past two years have really been completely transformational for me as a person and as an entrepreneur and as an agency leader. So during the pandemic, some of you may know who listened to the podcast about, I guess about three or four months into the pandemic, I decided to sell my house and move to Florida. It was not a political decision because I moved from one red state to another, so I had nothing to do with that. (laughs) Yeah, we're not reading too much into it. Don't worry. Don't read too much into it. But (laughs) I just wanted to get away and go live at the beach. Primarily, I 
still have a, a place in Knoxville, Tennessee as well. And I go back and forth. But And I just decided to go on my soul journey, I called it. And then I decided to extend my soul journey indefinitely. <laughs> and um, we took our agency to a hybrid model. So at the end of last year, our office space lease was up and we decided not to renew. And we went into a co-working space. And so now the team is hybrid in that they go in about 50% of the time. And when I'm there, we usually all go in and collaborate. There's been a lot of adjustments in trying to figure out how to retain culture or build culture with a hybrid model. We did have some turnover. So we had our own little, I call it the the mini great resignation or the, the small resignation, but we're a small agency. So I've really focused on trying to attract the right people into the organization. And I I think that I've done that. Decided not to be so controlling and try to just hire somebody immediately and instead wait for the right fit. And I think that we've gotten a couple new people who were exactly the right fit. So it's really still a time of uncertainty. I don't know what to think about going into 2022. I'm not entirely optimistic that it's going to be a great year. But it's got to be better than this year and last year. I'm glad you shared that with our listeners, Kelly. I mean, talk about making things real. I think whenever a business leader is as candid as you are, and you are very candid, it humanizes your entrepreneurial journey. I think it helps. I think the type of sharing that you put out there really helps others in so many ways, and particularly in just navigating similar challenges. Yeah, you never think as an entrepreneur that one day you're going to wake up and your business will be down 30 or 40 percent. You always think that you're going to continue on an upward trajectory. So, you know, it's been a lesson in humility, among other things. And so what about you, Mary Beth? What have you seen and experienced these past few years that have impacted and changed you? What what you just said about, you know, waking up one day and your whole business has changed. That happened to me about a dozen years ago when the Great Recession, as they called it, you know, and the whole big economic downturn. Yes. With the housing bubble and all the rest happened 2008, 2009. Yeah. yeah, So about a, a dozen years ago, I experienced a lot of the same thing of waking up one day and about 30 to 40 percent of my business was just gone. And so, I had been through that same type of experience, although it was, a, it was a much different one with you know the context of the pandemic impacting everybody in such a different way. But I will say that, well, number one, it's been a joy for me being able to collaborate with you. It's brought a whole lot of fulfillment to my life to, over these past several years, be able to have sold my company to you and to have had the opportunity to work with members of your team. Of course, this podcast has been a lot of fun and it's been very cathartic. Well, I feel the same way. Yeah, yeah. It's just to be, be able to talk a lot about the issues that are happening in our industry that we both care about. I think that you and I are tremendously passionate about our industry and, and the direction that that it's going. For me, you know, this was a very challenging year for me. I remember in January of this year, you and I had gone away on a fun friends retreat at Blackberry Farm. We were there at our last evening for kind of a spa vacation. And um, I get an email from PRSA that essentially they wanted to kick me out of the organization after, you know, about 28 years of membership and national board leadership and all of that. And it was all predicated on the fact that I had raised a lot of concerns about ethics issues that 
to this day remain unanswered. A lot of financial issues, financial discrepancies, lack of reporting to members of information that I felt was very important for members to have a right to that information about their own own organization. And a lot of this is documented in my LinkedIn blog, a lot of the issues that I saw over recent years. And so instead of answering the questions and uh, dealing with the ethics issues that were very well documented, they decided to get rid of me instead of to deal with their problems. Yeah, they just kicked you out, kicked out the whistleblower. (laughs) Yeah, well, it followed the, I think, the typical model of organizations that engage in a cover-up instead of dealing with quality and conscientiousness issues that they should be dealing with at, at a national and or management level. And so to me, it was just so disappointing after all these years of real dedication to wanting to see PRSA be a successful voice for the industry and to grow in service to the industry in a way that was honorable and authentic and uplifting, you know, all those things that I believed for many years that it that it had been and that it aspired to be, to suddenly wake up and over, over recent years, really, and learn that all of that was pretty much going down the tube in my view and from my personal experience. A lot of my identity was tied up in that organization and because I believe so much in the industry that we are in and in the future of what it holds on promoting everything from democracy to free enterprise. And we're talking at a global and very systemic level. So to see that basically crumble right in front of me and to see the culture that has been allowed to take root. It continues to this day to be extremely upsetting to me that our industry, in the U.S. at least, is being fronted by a trade organization that I, I think is working at a at serious cross-purposes to what we should be doing. And so when I think about 2020 and 2021 and all of that culminated this year with what had been a years-long ethics battle, when I look to the future, I think that's a big part of the reason that I am very guarded, kind of jaded, I suppose, rather cynical. I mean, I think some of our conversation today, when we look at some of these kind of macro issues and what our predictions are for the future in the near future, for me, it's painted by that whole experience. So it's been kind of hard. It's been really hard. It's um, it's hard not to lose faith in an organization that you've been a part of for so long. I was too. So yeah. I watched it firsthand and it was ugly. I just hope something good is going to come out of it eventually. And thank you for your advocacy for our industry. And Well, I appreciate that. On, on the brighter side, though, our industry has had some good news coming from recent industry reports, more so overseas. And I think that those reports paint a more hopeful picture. So I do think that there can be reason for hope and even some excitement if the larger industry can bring PR's A-game to the table, which I think we do have a fantastic A-game. We just have to rise to that challenge and service to our full potential as an industry. Well, change is hard, but whenever you have change, there's always an opportunity to make things better for the long term. And it's kind of like crisis management. No crisis is fun. Right. It's brutal when you're in the midst of it, but if you manage it well, it can produce silver linings and really force you to do things differently and have to find new and better ways of doing things. I agree. I agree with that. And as we kick off PR predictions for 2022, the best place to start that conversation is, I think, with some situation analysis of where we are now. I have in front of us several industry reports and trade industry articles. We've been looking through these here in recent days. And I think that if we looked at three 
kind of hot topic areas of where some of these predictions are going. Uh, First is pandemic economic recovery. Another one is ethics, since we've kind of touched on that a bit. And the other is diversity. So those three areas are the ones that I think some of these um, statistics speak to. Well, and regarding the pandemic economic recovery, I think that the reports are highly optimistic for our industry and for the growth for next year. And my prediction is it's just going to be hang on tight for the first six months of next year and hope for the best because I don't think we're going to see much growth at all. I speak to a lot of business owners and executives, and there's a a little bit of just a fear of spending money or a fear of doing much right now because everybody's still in very much a wait and see mode. And so I think that is going to be what we encounter for at least the first six months. You know, we've seen a good bit about some of the compensation raises for 2022. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? The month of November, we did a whole series on the Great Resignation. We had blogs and social Mm -hmm. media, and you did a television appearance on it. We hired someone from the local news station who was assistant news director there. We're seeing a lot of people in journalism continue to migrate over to the PR and marketing communication side. But everybody says it's going to, this is leading to significant compensation raises in 2022. Right. I think that our team is is already well paid. I decided that I didn't want to hire entry level anymore, that I would rather hire people at a high level and pay them accordingly, because that's just the way that I want to run the business. That's another big paradigm shift that I made over the past two years. I just hope employers are ready for it because if they're not, they're going to go in one of two directions. They're going to, they won't remain competitive in recruiting in an already tight market, or they will take money away from PR marketing and other budgets that they don't think are urgent spends are really completely necessary. And then to cover this payroll, and then they're going to suffer from a marketing and PR resource standpoint. And that is going to trickle down to impacting their overall bottom lines, because you can't just stop spending money and take it out of your marketing and PR budget and put it towards something else and not feel long-term effects. It may take a minute for it to hit, but it'll hit and it does every time. Well, and we saw that too with Great Recession management behaviors back a dozen years ago, as I was mentioning in you know two thousand eight and nine. Um, there was a massive pullback. They laid all of us off. Yeah, it was a lot of the same thing, and I think that means PR budgets for agencies and for in-house teams could be impacted a lot if employers do what you just described of kind of robbing from Peter to pay Paul. I guess that's not a good situation, certainly for our industry, if that happens. I would also say that that poses more immediate risks for small to mid-sized companies, as well as for industries that are already being Im- impacted by the the whole supply chain crunch that's been going on here in recent months. And that's, yeah. you know, it's anticipated to continue well into next year. Well, it's definitely a cautionary tale for our industry. And I started my business in 2008. And so that was the year that yeah. um, the Great Recession <laughs> yeah came about. It was talk about, you know, challenging timing. Yeah. And I I had no idea what was coming down the pike. But the good thing was, is it was just me and a helper. So I didn't have a big payroll to meet. And then also, it served me well, because even though marketing and PR budgets got cut, a lot of marketing and PR people got 
lost their jobs. It was also the first thing to come back. And so companies were looking to outsource it. And so that was really a huge growth period for my business. And on a positive note, I couldn't help but notice that the Public Relations and Communications Association, PRCA, which is based in London, and also the International Communications Consultancy Organization, or ECO, they both had recently released industry reports that were very much glass half full. And I'm not sure that I totally agree with it. Like I said, I don't think it's going to be this just resounding recovery that some people might. And both of those reports, I agree with you. The headlines out of both of those reports had some real positivity to them. If you looked at the reports themselves, there were also some very cautionary data points. And I would encourage anyone in the industry, especially in the agency business, to download both of those reports and really look at the granular detail because there is a whole lot more to both of them than just the headlines. So yes, the PRCA had a headline from its 2021 membership census in recent weeks saying the industry is roaring back, at least it is in the UK. Much of that membership census was UK-centric. Their report revealed the industry had grown 6.1% since 2020, so fairly good news. The EcoWorld report that was published only last month also stated that overall optimism in the PR industry is our friend Francis Ingham, who is the PRCA as well as the Eco Chief Executive, stated that expectations of a more profitable year have increased by almost 50%, which he stated, and I'm quoting him, an astonishing 95% of PR firms expect an increase in client income compared with only one in five last year. It's because we have nowhere to go but up. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe that's the sentiment. I don't know. But but that is good news that at least the sentiment in the industry is that, okay, we're in a recovery from this, or at least we have certainly figured out the new way of doing business or new ways of doing business, plural, you know, given especially the workforce challenges and the work from home, you know, massive transition and all of the systemic changes that have had to be part and parcel of that. Well, I love the sound of it and I hope it all comes to pass. I'm, nobody <laughs> wants it to come to pass more than me. Right. But I also couldn't help but notice in the ECO report that they called out five challenges that are going to remain with us in 2022. And I'll just go through those real quick. Yeah. One is retaining strong talent in our agencies and our in-house teams. I think that's absolutely true. I'll do anything I can to hold on to the team I have. And I really think that it is all about culture and it's all about asking the question of your team, of each individual team member. What is it that you want from this job? What is it do you want from this career in this company? And for me as a leader, Mm -hmm. what is it you want for your life? Because if there's anything that's been a huge shift in the past two years, it's how people think about their work and their lives and work-life balance. I think that is going to continue from now on out is just retaining strong talent. Dealing with fake news. Well, I don't think that's not going away anytime soon. Yeah, we could just do a whole year's worth of podcasts on that one topic alone. We could. um, You have to spend a lot more time siphoning through the news right now and fact-checking and trying to figure out what is true and what is not and what is half true. Well, yeah, and, and I'll just interject one point on the fake news thing and the whole misinformation, disinformation. One area that I don't think the industry or the news media tackle enough is where is it coming from? Like, what are the systemic causes of it or organizational type groups or culprits, I guess we should say? Everybody talks about it in such a kind of a loosey-goosey way. No one is really addressing, I think, in a very substantive manner, 
of, hey, these types of practices are contributing to misunderstandings of information or skewing of data. I think that that is an area where, from an ethics standpoint, the industry could be lending a lot more analysis and conversation in order to stave it off. Yeah, I agree. Backing up what your sources were, because the news has become very partisan, as we know. And I've seen just a lot on social media. And when you start digging into it, it's just a group or a person or an organization stands up a blog and a website, and then they just start saying whatever they want to, and they start pushing it out. And it looks like a real news source. But when you start digging in, it doesn't take long to figure out that it's just... These are just opinion pieces. Right. And then ethics, that plays right. The fake news and ethics really go hand in hand. I think uh, with every other issue there is to talk about in the public relations and communication sector, if we cannot all agree to do right by one another and do right by the public good, then it's really all bets are off at that point. And it's just amazing to me that as many years as this industry has existed and tried to evolve, we are still having these fundamental conversations because there's either disagreement about what is ethical and what is not, or there's just, you know, people just don't care. I mean, either you care about it or you don't. I think that there is just in widespread, not enough real conscientiousness on the subject. No, and I don't really see it changing, unfortunately. It's yeah. a different kind of world that we live in um, than the one I grew up. It's starting to sound really old. Another challenge that was pointed out in the ECO report is that there's no expectation of real change in the PR industry when it comes to the diversity of the workforce in public relations. And I agree with that. I mean, it's a systemic problem and it's going to take a couple generations, I think, before we can see a big difference in becoming a more diverse industry. What's interesting on that point, too, I recently uncovered data out of PRSA of all places where I compared some membership data that they had from about 10 years ago. I think it was 2008 and then 2010 or 11, I want to say. About 70% of the organization was female, but only a very small percentage was African-American, Black or African-American. But I noticed that from this most recent survey that they had done a couple of years ago, they had actually boosted, I want to say, five or six percentage points their share of Black and African-American membership. I asked them the question, why have you never reported this? I mean, that's kind of a major win that you've moved the needle discernibly in that area. Of course, they didn't respond to me. They ignored me. <laughs> but it's like it's like you, you're sitting on a big win for your membership and a big success story, and you're not even telling it. You're not even celebrating it. It was it yeah. was very strange to me. It's not enough though. It's that's still just a blip on the radar. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's progress. And you also don't know who compiled the data and you don't know what the motivation was. Here's the macro question on diversity. We have to, I think, figure out as an industry, where's the goalpost? Is the goalpost for the PR industry to be reflective demographically of those who are working in professional ranks across all different types of sectors? Or are we really trying to mirror the demographics of the consumer public? Those are two completely different standards, and they're predicated on education and 
access to education and training and mentorship and all of those kinds of things. I mean, they're two very different standards. I mean, you look at how many, what the demographic compositions are for people who are in the finance industry or in healthcare or in any other kind of professional services sector. And in my view, as a near-term goal, we need to be looking more at mirroring those groups because we're really trying to compete for workforce among those people who are seeking to dedicate their professional lives to a professional service sector. And so we want to be recruiting them to our industry. I think it's a much more long-term and much more challenging goal to say, oh, we're going to have the PR industry reflect all of society because (laughs) that's a very different educational hurdle to get across because you're trying to recruit people into the industry who, you know, many of whom may have no desire to be in a professional services sector whatsoever. So it's two very, it's apples and oranges. And I just don't think the industry has been sophisticated yet enough about having a conversation on that basis. Yep. That's not going to self overnight either. Neither is mental wellness issues. That was the fifth challenge that mental wellness issues are going to continue and there's a lack of support for that area. I think mental wellness issues have been out there forever. And I I don't know what happened during the pandemic that it just, there was just a big magnifying glass put on it and we decided to start talking about it, but it's really not new. I mean, I've encountered, I've had my own share of depression and anxiety Mm -hmm. issues most of my life. And I know so many other people who have. So I know it's been compounded by the pandemic, but it's also been there. And I'm glad that at least now we're beginning to talk about it and it's beginning to lose some of its stigma. Yes, I agree. That's uh, That's been one area, too. I've had some people close to my life and within my life who have had just horrible struggles with things going on, not only in their jobs, but just you know, just historical issues that they've dealt with in their in their lives. And I've seen how all of that has played out. I've even internalized a lot of that pain and suffering that they've dealt with. And it's a very difficult thing to try to manage when you have everything else to manage on top of it. But I mean, everybody's in that boat. You know, we all just have to find the best way we can find and to be aware of, you know, what are the resources that are out there available for us? I think The good news is that there's so many more informational and support services that are available if you're willing to tap into them. And that's the good news, at least. Yeah, and not wait until it's too late. Exactly. That's really key, is that you have to take some action when you really start feeling it and you start being worried about it. You just can't wait around. That's too important. All of these issues you've mentioned, Kelly, are core issues for sure. I've already touched on the matter of ethics in our industry based on what's going on in the U.S., but I will say that our PRCA Ethics Council that I've been part of, we also observed from the EcoWorld report that North America is a region of the world that is continuing to slip compared to other regions and how practitioners who are based here, perceive the industry to be ethical. Um, It used to be a number of years ago that North America led the world in how practitioners based within this region perceived ethical compliance and its performance in ethical compliance. And I think North America is now like number three behind two other regions in the world. It's just beyond concerning to me. It's like in the past several years, 
some bad but high-profile actors have taken all the progress that was made for decades in trying to make ethics a priority driver of PR, and they've thrown the whole thing into reverse, and it's like we're losing ground on ethics now, and we're not gaining it. And that's, I think that's part of the reason I feel a bit daunted and a bit cynical. Well, it's pretty scary, and it's a definitely a wake-up call for us in the industry who do not want to be perceived as story spinners and as stretching the facts or telling untruths to serve our own agendas. And I don't know what the answer is, but for you, Mary Beth, you've called out poor ethics in the industry, and you've had tons of evidence and documentation, and you were rewarded for your spokesmanship by being kicked out of PRSA. And then what's even worse, we have entire major news media outlets that can't seem to decide if they want to be journalists or PR firms. Then there was the issue with Chris Cuomo, you know, being a flack for his brother on his nightly cable program and then secretly advising him on the sideline regarding PR strategy and how to discredit these women who were making very credible reports of sexual harassment against him. And so where is the voice of journalism in all this? And then you have things going on even in the past week, you know, Chris Wallace leaving Fox and going to CNN Plus, and you're just, it's just, it's really crazy what's going on in journalism. And journalists are jumping ship too. They're just, they're tired of it, a lot of them. And I've gotten so many calls from journalists who have asked, you know, what's it like in PR? What kind of jobs do you have? What would it be like? Do you think I could do it? Do you think I'd be good at it? Yeah. What's unfortunate is that, of course, we need good journalism in this country. We want good and honorable journalists who are wanting to do the job of reporting facts and reporting the news from an unbiased standpoint. And it seems like so many of them are the ones who are leaving The news profession, because they have been just so off put by what they're being told to do. You know, I hear a lot of nightmare stories about what's just going on in newsrooms. Mm -hmm. A lot of the, I don't know, I think there's intergenerational conflict going on, but Mm -hmm. it's happening across all sides of the political spectrum. And whether it's, you know, Fox News and the late Roger Ailes, you know, they were hardly the first to set a bad example, but just calling that out, too, in the interest of being fair here on both right-wing versus left-wing news media. I mean, if I had to make a prediction on where media ethics were going in 2022, I have no reason to believe things are going to get any better because there's simply not enough enforcement and accountability going on. When you look at CNN and look at, I mean, they've had now numerous cases of producers, of on-air talent. There was a guy, you know, a producer from CNN that was arrested uh, just, I think, this past week on charges of whether it was child molestation or, you know, being involved in these sexual encounters with with very underage girls. But bad actors have little reason to stop being bad actors. I mean, they just push and push and push boundaries until they are so far into illegal territory that law enforcement basically has to get brought in to prosecute them. I mean, this is just where we are right now. It's a morality crisis. As my mom would say, these people need a little bit more Jesus or a lot more Jesus. (laughs) Yeah. But um, the damage to public trust shows up clearly in public opinion data. And full disclosure, I'm not a Republican. I have voted Republican in the past. I grew up in a Democratic family. I don't really know what I am now. I'm not not, not anything. (laughs) 
<laughs> Mary Beth is a Republican. And so we go back and forth on things a lot. She's a lot more conservative than me. You're a lot more conservative than me. But even so, roughly half the United States is left-leaning and half is right-leaning. We've seen that over the past two election cycles or more. And so as an American, all of us need to care if an entire segment of the population is being disenfranchised. And we need to care about people of color and people with disabilities and groups of citizens who face widespread discrimination. We need to care about people from all walks of life. And just in August of this year, about four months ago, and Pew Research reported this, and I'm quoting here, in just five years, the percentage of Republicans with at least some trust in national news organizations has been cut in half, dropping from 70% in 2016 to 35% this year. Wow. And this deadline is fueling the continued widening of the partisan gap and trust of the media, end quote. And I mean, hello, you have a country where half the population has a 35 percentage point drop in national news media trust within only a five-year time period. Yeah. And how does that happen and we not have a seriously, dangerously divided nation. We do. Yeah. And I've even noticed on Fox News, they've gotten a lot, they've gone soft. I mean, they really have gone a lot softer. And I wonder if they are looking at this data and seeing that there's so much disenchantment with the partisanship and being able to trust the news that they needed to go a little bit more middle of the road. Yeah, I think that maybe we'll see different networks that were known for much more partisan-leaning coverage. Maybe they will start edging more toward middle ground. I would hope that they would. You know, the problem is everyone complains about Fox News who, you know, if you come from a more of a left-leaning ideology. But the issue there is that you have Fox News and then you have everybody else. I feel like Fox News, yes, they are partisan in a lot of their evening news commentary, but they're kind of outnumbered with other networks that are also of very significant prominence that are every bit as much on the on the opposite end of the spectrum and very partisan in how they present topics and so forth. So, you know, looking inward and looking at the PR industry itself, I guess my question is, if we in PR are supposed to be these uniters, if we're supposed to be the conciliators, diplomats, brokers of communication and understanding, I have to ask, how is all of this situation not on us in part or not on our industry, at least in part? Because, you know, we're supposed to be the ones that are supposed to be able to bring people together and have conversations that aren't just so divisive in the first place. So I think we have to take some ownership in that. Well, it is on us that our industry does not appear to be leading enough on bridging these issues of divisiveness mm -hmm. and I think sometimes it's just like we're sitting here observing it and we're lamenting it and we're hand-wringing over it. And we don't get heard a lot of times in among the ranks of executives who do make a lot of the decisions over the way things are communicated and what is ethical and what is not and what is too partisan and what is not. But when it comes to leading from the front, as you and I have often talked about so much on this podcast and just in day-to-day -day conversation is that it's so important. The PR industry isn't doing enough, particularly in this country. And it's almost like we need a, we need a, a PR campaign to build trust back in the media. For years, propaganda has been used in war and everything else. And, and propaganda is sometimes viewed as an ugly word, but we need a campaign to instill trust back in 
American journalism. And part of that needs to be driven by ethics and the oath that journalists take and bringing that back to the forefront and getting back to the values that used to drive fairness in reporting. Well, unfortunately, that is where the industry associations, plural, really have to come together to try to work with one another across communication sectors. So I would have loved to have seen here in the U.S., for example, PRSA and SBJ, the Society of Professional Journalists, and other related both news media and professional communicator associations uh, working collaboratively to mount that kind of campaign. I would have loved to have seen that. But I mean, who's going to work with, you know, an industry association? They're covering up their financials. They won't even tell you how many members they have. They're not singing from the song sheet of real action. They're not modeling the kind of behavior that you would want advocated within that kind of campaign. I mean, there's no credibility to it. So Unfortunately, I don't think anything like that is ever going to happen, at least not involving any of the domestic or at least one of the domestic associations here in the U.S. And it's just really unfortunate because it's such a waste. There's so much that I think industry associations could do to get away from this divisiveness and and all the rest of it. And um Anyway, one thing, too, is that we're heading next year into midterm elections in 2022. So on top of all of the other challenges we have going on, we have a media environment that's going to be very stoked up politically. And of course, on the heels of that, that election cycle, we're going to be back into another U.S. presidential campaign cycle, drumming up all that vitriol that's all part of presidential election campaigns. Yeah, and I I predict that we're going to see a lot more discord than we even saw in the past year or two. And let's just face it, the past two years have been pretty hideous. Yeah, they have. Not exactly domestic tranquility. (laughs) No. All right, we talked about earlier. It's a, I feel like this is kind of the negative Nancy way to end 2021 podcast, but we did talk about being hopeful in, for 2022. And here are some of my hopes. I hope that more and more different people, people other than the ones with the same old voices, will find ways to have their ideas heard about ways for businesses, organizations, and governments to deliver on these years of lip service. And even in our own business, I want to hear people's voices more than I ever have because I've realized how important it is. And I hope that we'll see new people in leadership. And I hope that those leaders will bring with them insights and experience and data to deliver solutions instead of rhetoric. Yeah. Running alongside that, I think that it's a big hope for the PR industry, which you know, we specialize in rhetoric. I mean, let's face it, but we need to evolve as an industry far more into a solutions management enterprise instead of just operating on this tired old basis of messages being the alpha and the omega of everything. As we've often talked about on this podcast, messages don't mean anything if they're not backed up with policies that are backed up with demonstrable action in keeping with society's expectations of what organizations are supposed to be and what they're supposed to deliver. So all of that has to be part of it. Yeah. And the word transparency comes to mind. So yeah. Mary Beth, you've been involved on the PRCA Ethics Council for the past two years. And we're really proud of you for that, by the way. I mean, that's the that's a global ethics council. And tell us more about what your group is doing to address some of these issues and bridge the gaps. Well, one thing I'm really excited about is that we have a couple of different research projects 
in progress right now. We are working, and this was announced a a number of months ago, with the Ethics and Compliance Initiative in Washington, D.C., to utilize their global business ethics survey that they've conducted for many years now. And we're going to apply that survey to the PR industry specifically and also ask some proprietary questions, too, about how PR industry practitioners are dealing with issues of, for example, misinformation, disinformation. Are they being asked and told to communicate information that they know is false by management teams? And, you know, if they try to push back from that on that, are they being retaliated against? And so we're trying to document to what extent those who are working in the PR industry are, they know what they should be doing and they are ethical, they want to be ethical practitioners and they know what constitutes good ethics. But if your job is basically being placed on the line, if you don't communicate this data point or this data point, which you know not to be exactly on the up and up, then it's a much bigger issue in these, this time of economic crisis, particularly with the pandemic. And it's it's something that we as an industry really need to understand how much that's posing a threat to our practitioners and how we can best serve as a resource to them and counsel them. So these are some of the issues that we are trying to quantify. We want to get some numbers around them. And we are also working with the Institute of Business Ethics in London as well on a study to look at different codes of ethics within the PR industry across a host of different nations and doing sort of apples to apples comparisons of how are different codes different from one another? How are they the same? And where are there some holes that need to be dealt with and need to be addressed, particularly with digital communications, social media, and um, a lot of the more current challenges that we have today that may have not been so pervasive, say, 20 years ago when many of these codes were written. Those are very exciting projects that we're taking on. And we, you know, we're trying to address a lot of these issues from a posture of data understanding where the challenges are that our practitioners are dealing, what they're dealing with, and uh, really trying to get at very substantive solutions to that. Well, thank you for all the work you're doing. And I I know that's a lot of work, and you certainly don't get paid for it. And it's so important. (laughs) And the codes of ethics in particular, I can't wait to see what comes out of that. Yeah, it's going to be very interesting. And everyone can expect a lot of that information in the first and second quarters of next year. I, on a final point, we had, I want to get back to diversity. We talked about lip service earlier, and diversity is an area that has gotten a lot of lip service. So we talked a lot about diversity issues on the podcast in 2021 and in a variety of contexts this year. All the, the issue is due a whole new focus in the year ahead. And I just want to know, where do you think diversity advancement is going to go in the year ahead, if anywhere? Yeah, I mean, my prediction is that we're going to continue seeing some high-profile executive placements, which, you know, you see these news releases come out and, you know, demonstrating how professionals from diverse backgrounds are being hired for, say, CEO positions, et cetera. And that's all great. But I think the larger issue remains, what is the culture? What are the cultures within those organizations? You know, you hope that some of those CEO-level hires does portend more of a culture toward embracing people from all different walks of life. But it's not 
the singular solution. There, It has to go much farther than that. And I do think, too, as a prediction, we're going to continue dealing with cancel culture. I think a lot of it is going to probably get worse in some areas. Yeah, Political demagoguery is rampant right now. And I, I do think that's a big reason you see so many Republicans who feel so much distrust toward media and toward other institutions is because they do feel like that they've been at the center of a lot of just unwarranted demagoguery. We can all disagree on certain issues or certain policies, but, you know, just speaking from that vantage point. Well, you have Donald Trump to thank for that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah, I think you're right. I mean, I think it's been a very complex stew, I will say that, uh, over the past four or five years a little bit even longer than that with that whole phenomenon and that whole era in our nation. One other thing that I will say is the biggest diversity problem that we have in the PR industry is not enough men. That's true. When you're 70% or more female, a whole feminization of an entire industry is not good, you know, because of all of the different issues that are inherent toward lower pay for women, kind of they called it decades ago, the pink collared ghetto, you know, that whole syndrome Uh that evolves to that. And we need to be recruiting more men into the industry. And we have had almost no conversation around that. Of course, men are still dominating C-suites in many different sectors within the industry, certainly the international and multinational agency sector. But this is a much more complex problem than the more one-dimensional conversations that we seem to keep having about it. It's a very good point. I think that We've been labeled a women's industry, and it discourages men from even applying. So um, maybe that'll change. But as we close out our chat today in our business, I always like to say hope is not a strategy as much as I would like for hope to be a strategy. (laughs) And as much as we hope for the best in 2022, all of us in PR must really understand and synthesize a ton of issues as we take on our work. And I always say it's like squirrel. It's like playing a game of squirrel. It's like you're focused on one thing and then your brain has to flip switches and go focus on something else. And and it's hard. It's a hard job. And I hope our listeners, I hope this discussion and this podcast in general helps you in your career and your work. And we are certainly not here to tell you what to think. We're here to try to help you consider maybe what to think about. Big point of differentiation on that. And listeners, please do join us for season five of Misinterpreted in 2022. We're going to continue bringing you relevant topics and wide-ranging dialogues. We hope you'll chime in to the conversation in social media at the hashtag Misinterpreted, and that's M-S Interpreted. And for visibility's sake, don't forget to capitalize the BR. Yes, and some big changes ahead for our podcast in 2022. You can connect with us at Twitter handle at Fletcher PR. You can also follow me at Twitter handle at KD Fletcher and Mary Beth at Mary Beth West. Everyone, thanks for joining us. Happy holidays, happy new year, happy 2022, and until next year. Thanks for joining us on Misinterpreted, Public Relations Demystified. You can keep up with the latest on the podcast at FletcherMarketingPR.com and on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll see you next time.